life isn't a race. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. I mean, I want to keep moving, but there's more in the middle than I, I usually tried to give. It was always about the accomplishment. Are you looking for true personal freedom? The freedom to design a life you truly desire? Then you're absolutely in the right place. True personal freedom comes from when you take 100% responsibility and control of your money and your mind. Here, you're going to learn ideas, tips, and wisdom that's gonna help you bridge the gap from where you are now to your dream life in the future. My name is Randy Wilson, and welcome to the Rich Mind Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rich Mind Podcast. And today, coming to you with another, another, I always say this every time, but every time I have another guest, it's like it just keeps building on top of building and building and building. It's just so much fun. This part of the process for me with creating this podcast has been probably the most enjoyable part, getting to know folks, diving into the three questions, and just really digging out the nuggets of wisdom that they've got to share. And today, I've got another fantastic guest here waiting for us here. I've got Laura Patillo. She's actually from the Northwest, uh, Northwest up in Washington area, correct? If I'm not mistaken. And we'll get into that here as we move on through the, through the podcast. But she's actually a trained and professional opera performer, which I'm sure, super curious to get into that as well. She studied that at the University of Brigham Young. And through that process of, of going to school and trying to figure out life, as far as marriage, kids, she actually had a childhood uh, passion for writing. And it, kind of midstream, after being a performer for a lot of time, she actually then pivoted over to uh, becoming a professional writer. And she's actually been very successful at it. She's the author of 65 novels to date, which that number in and of itself is just a fantastic thing. She said thousands of five-star reviews. She's also a best-selling author on Amazon and USA Today. She's a very active mother, meaning she also has and is homeschooling her five children, which I think one of them might be have moved on as far as into uh, higher education. But at the same time, yeah, she's been very busy with that as well. I mentioned her and her husband reside up in the Pacific Northwest, and she also has a coaching. She's uh, pivoted here recently into helping aspiring authors uh, with coaching as far as helping them uh, get their stories, figuring out how to become an author, right? So if that's a passion of yours as well, stay tuned because uh, Laura's going to be getting into details on some of those things going forward. So with that introduction, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. This is going to be so much fun. So take a few minutes. I kind of gave the 30,000 foot view level of Laura, right? So right. can you give everybody a little bit more background? Tell us a little bit more about Laura, where you've been, where you are and where you're going, that type of thing. Well, I was born and raised here in Washington. My grandfather was actually one of the very first farmers up here on the east side of the state. I'm not in the the pretty side with all the trees. I'm in the desert side with the rattlesnakes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I was raised on acreage and and doing farm work and all that kind of stuff. So it was a bit of a change heading to college and studying things like opera. I didn't start to sing till I was 18. Um, but discovered I had a passion for it and a knack for it and kind of ran with that for a while and, and got to do some really fun things and some meet some really neat people in that uh, venue. 
um, got married down the line a little bit and started having children and um, they got drugged to a lot of concerts. <laughs> they learned how to have a concert for like to sit through a concert from a very, very young age. I had people comment on that a lot because my husband would show up with this whole toe of my five kids were born in seven years. Wow. And the first four came in three and a half years. There's a set of twins in there. And so wow. he'd walk in with all these toddlers and he'd take up a row at this like classical concert or whatever it was I was singing at. And it was like him. And then like, you know, all the older people, because that's who most of the audience was. And, um, but they learned how to sit still through those audiences and, and through all of the singing. And I, I have loved sharing that part of my life with them, but I'm also glad to to step back from it a little bit because writing I can do from home, which singing I couldn't do from home. And so it's, it's been a joy to be home with them. And um, I'd love to write since I was a little girl. In fact, in elementary school, when we had like, you know, they asked you what you wanted to be. I always said I wanted to be a writer, but as I got older and got into music that kind of took over. So I finished a degree in English and have a creative writing emphasis in that did that after I had all the kids and started uh, writing children's books and ended up setting that aside and going into romance and a career was was born. I got into self-publishing, which ended up being a very good venue for me. I liked being in charge of my books and having control, that entrepreneur spirit, if you will. And actually, so that bio says 65, book 69 releases tomorrow. So wow, I'm almost to the next the next level there. It says yes. 70, huh? So that'll come out here in a few months. I've got a couple of active pen names. I've had four over the years, but only two of them are active at the moment. And then recently you mentioned that I'm starting to coach and I'm, I'm starting to do that where I, I'm teaching other people how to write. I love it. I love what it does for me. I love what it's allowed me to do with my family. Um, and I just find such fulfillment in sharing stories. I mean, I write fiction, so they're not truth stories, but they're still just a joy to be a storyteller. And everyone has a story, whether it's a fiction story or a nonfiction story. And, and we thrive on that knowledge from each other. And so I want to help people be able to get that out. Because a lot of times looking at a book, people just get daunted. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness, what do I do? How do I get it down? How do I organize it? How do I publish it? And I want to help people smooth that process out because we we want people's stories. That's how we connect as humans, is through stories. The ability to tell a story. And I can't say that I'm great at it. I actually study folks that can. Mm -hmm. And so we have a, a fellow friend, Dan Armstrong, who was also yeah. an author that we've had this conversation before, as far as the ability to communicate through story is so important and so impactful that those who can do it well, have the ability to help so many people. Right. And so yeah, I commend you for being able to do that, number one, and then taking it to the next level and then helping other people do it as well. Because the idea of writing books and publishing books, just the thought of it for me, because I'm not a writer, nor am I a publisher, it just sounds daunting, which I'm sure it is. And that's the feeling that a lot of the people have. Right. And it, but, you know, we've been collecting stories since the writings on cave walls, right? That's how we do everything. Even science is a story. They, they find evidence and they create a story around the evidence to teach us how things came to be, you know, I mean, it's just everything is through a story and they're told in all sorts of different ways. And whether you feel like you're a natural writer or storyteller or not, we all communicate with each other and we can all do it through the written word. Now, some of us need a little outside help learning how to, you know, streamline it, but we're still all capable of it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's what makes us human because there's emotion in stories and, and learning and progressing. And that's what makes us, you know, move forward as a people. And that's, 
it's a wonderful thing and I'm so thrilled to be part of it. And I'm, I love the fact that I have students that I get to help do it with too. So that's what it's all about, right? As far as you've collected this information and now you're giving it back to as many people as you possibly can, right? Which allows you to continue your craft, but then share your craft with with the masses as much as you possibly can, which is going to impact and impact and impact. So that's that's what I see based on what you've shared. So that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted, before we get off the topic of you being an opera singer, I want to kind of go back just real quick. And uh-huh. so you're talking about, your kids were sitting through performances. Yes. I'm not, a, I'm not familiar with much with opera to be honest with you. So I'm just curious because I'm thinking that maybe some of the, the people out there might be having the same thought, but how long of a, how long is a performance? It's like, you're having your, your kids sit through. Can you kind of go through, like, what does that even mean? I, I can't imagine how much time it actually would take to not only perform, you know, on stage, but then the, the, lead up to and then the afterwards just all the all the uh the things that is required I can only imagine what that's like yeah so um most of my work has been in the classical or the Christian arena I've been in operas uh, most of my big operas were actually before my children were born so mm-hmm. I'm not I'm trying to think if they actually saw me in an actual opera they've heard the songs because <laughs> they get to hear all the practice those poor things um, I don't think they realized that not every mother sang like me until they were older because <laughs> it was just like, this is just life for them. They're used to hearing their mother hitting high C's throughout the house. Right. But so most of what my children were exposed to was, was concerts. Uh, I got asked to, I was hired as soloists to come be a soloist a lot. Things like at Christmas, I'd, I'd be hired to come do the Messiah and sing the soprano solo through that. Or um, a lot of choirs would hire me to come do some solo numbers either over the choir or do individual numbers in the middle of their concerts. A lot of work through there. I got hired by the city to do some things like our our city's 100th celebration was um, a few years back when my kids were little and they put on a big thing and, and they asked me to come sing some songs from like when the city was born, you know, so like 100 years ago and, and to do things, things like that. And The Christian circuit has been very, um, they really like classical singers because a lot of hymns are classically based. And um, so I've I've done a lot of churches and stuff. um, And so my kids have come and sat through a lot of those Christmas concerts. I do a lot of Christmas concerts. People really like the classics when it comes to Christmas. And so I, I do things for them. And then the few that my children do not come to, like I do a lot of funerals. I know that sounds weird, but people like music. It's, you know, it's a soothing thing at a funeral, but not every family has people who sing. And so I get pulled in a lot. I don't get hired for those. That's just volunteer stuff, just to make that clear. I don't, <laughs> but um, anyway, so they, I, I go and I sing at a lot of funerals. I mean, most of the time I don't know who passed away, but it's, it's an honor to get to share in that and learn about people. Like I hear stories, right? Mm-hmm. At these funerals, I'm learning people's stories. I've done some traveling uh, down in Utah, and I've done a lot of work on the um, West Coast over in the Seattle area and stuff where I'm I'm going and doing concerts over there. But a lot of it is more soloistic type thing. Um, The operas were mostly just out of college, and my kids were not... I don't think that they were born yet. I did do some Broadway shows. Well, not Broadway, just Broadway style shows um, like um, South Pacific and Oklahoma and some of those I've um, performed in those. And so my kids have come to those and those are, those ones are the longer ones because those last two to two and a half hours and they always come support me in those. I've done cats. I was Jelly Lorem, the opera cat. (laughs) 
shocker that I was, that's my role in that show. And, but the concerts themselves that are just vocals, those are usually an hour and a half, maybe, maybe an hour 45. Those don't tend to last as long because it's just voice. There's no acting involved. And so people's voices don't necessarily last two and a half hours (laughs) if there's not a break. For speaking of voices though, I can vouch hundred percent that you're legit as far as, (laughs) so I, once again, I'm not, trained in music at all but we were at a, a conference i think it was earlier this year it was, and you, it was were, you were asked to perform basically right on a moment's notice can you reach a do a certain and i don't even know what the terms even to ask you so i apologize in advance you okay. can maybe help clarify for me but you hit a note i don't know what the note was but you warned us all you're like okay be prepared because this may be a little sensitive to some of your ears, right? Basically. And you went for it. And I was just like, holy cow, that was, <laughs> and I'm not going to ask you to do it today on the episode, even though I'm sure folks are out there like, yeah, Laura, let's see what you can do. But no, I'm not going to do that today. But can you, what do you know? I mean, you're, you're trained so well at it. Do you know, kind of, I remember that day I actually recorded it. So I'm not going <laughs> to you know, put it out there that, that I had that recording, but I did record it. So it was pretty cool. But the point is, is do you remember what you got to that day? Oh, and it was a little while ago. That, high. <laughs> that wasn't that high. That wasn't that high. Um, maybe like a G or an A, I think about there. So that's just in an untrained voice, a G is, is starting to, to be a difficult one to hit. Like a lot of sopranos can hit it, but it gets harder at that point. I am a lyric soprano and I'm a first soprano. So if anyone is familiar with opera and they've ever heard of the Queen of the Night aria from the Magic Flute, um, it's the highest written aria in the history of what we have written in music. And it hits an F. I can't hit it anymore, but I used to hit that. And it's an entire octave basically above what I hit for you guys in that. um, So like eight more notes up, seven more notes up, seven. From where we we were that day. Yeah. Yeah. So a high C, which is about four notes up from where I sang for you guys is, is still pretty easy for me. But once I start getting about, about a D or a D sharp, I start, I start feeling my age (laughs) a little more. So, but those are, those are high enough that an untrained voice has a a struggle with them, but they're, they're low for someone who's trained what I have done. If that makes sense. I understand. Yeah. Um, You've had all this training up to this point, right? Yeah. So that, that does make sense to me. I have. So, but the part of what worried me in that room was we were in a room that was all tile and it was big and open. And I was like, this is going to bounce off these walls. And so I really didn't want to, I, I actually once was singing in a a rest home, a retirement home. And so my audience is all older people and several of them were kind of dozing and they asked me to sing a specific song and it goes up to me. And I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. But I was, you know, following what they asked me to do. Someone had asked for this song. And so I went ahead and sang it. And some poor older lady nearly fell off her chair when I hit the high note. And I I have been worried about that ever since. I'm like, I'm not trying to give anyone a heart attack. I have a big voice and I know in a room like that, it's going to bounce. And so I, yeah, I knew it was going to really hit your guys' ears that day in that room. But And you warned us. And it was, I, I, I can't say that it hurt, but at the same time, it was definitely, it was intense. That was, uh, <laughs> that was impressive. That was a lot of fun. So I appreciate you doing that for us there in the room. And okay. uh, as I mentioned, I, I actually do have the recording and I'm not using that as a threat, but at the same time, if, if uh, you ever felt like or wanted it, I don't know if anybody's ever offered that to you to, uh, 
show folks or not. But anyways, your your ability to get that level is super cool. I'd be definitely okay. willing to share that with you if you're interested. It's fun. You can share away. I don't mind at all. So well, that's even super. I I don't want to do it without permission. But at the same no, time, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe at the time when this episode drops, maybe that's something we can use to kind of help uh, show everybody a little bit more about the skill that you actually have with that. We'll see. We'll we'll make all a decision right. when it's time. Sounds so good. moving forward, then I just I appreciate you going there with the opera because I know that the uh, being an author and the book writing. That's what you do now in the coaching. And I know that that's like a super big passion. So I know that's kind of where the conversation is probably going to lead to. So I just wanted to kind of touch a little bit on that opera uh, part of your life. So I think that's super cool. But let's dive into the three questions. I These are the questions I share or ask folks that I bring on as guests. This helps me and, and the audience get to know you even a little bit better. Uh, it helps with the story, right? You mentioned that from the very beginning. It helps me as I share with my guests that that from these questions is where I kind of craft the remaining portion of the podcast. And so it's not, this is not scripted other than the three questions. So I'm super excited to see where we go with this part of the conversation. But first off, the first question, who has had the biggest influence on your life, Laura? So I have thought about this. You sent me this question ahead of time and I have thought and I have thought and I have thought, and I can't pinpoint it to one because when I look back on my life, I've picked up pieces from lots of people, starting with my parents. My dad taught me how to work, right? He's he's taught me how to, to focus and how to work. And my mother was a stay-at-home mom for most of my life. And she taught me how to mother. And she's she's taught me to want to be with my kids, you know, and to want to have that time with them. She is a great lover of her children and very involved in her grandchildren's lives. And I still remember when I was like 16, and I was child three of four, um, so I'm 16, two other kids are already out of the house. It's just me and my younger brother. And she had had to go back to work. She was working at a, a, a job when I was that age, because the farm was struggling. And I still remember her crying because she was going to miss one of my tennis tournaments that I was in. And I'm like, you've been to hundreds of them. And I didn't get why this was such a big deal. Right. But now as a mother, I'm like, I get it. I get it now. And she taught me how to want to love like that as a mother. And I realize that we can't go to everything. You know, I've got five kids. I have not been to everything they've ever done, but I have the desire to be involved and want to do that. And that's things that I learned from her is, is to, you know, love and gather my family as much as I'm capable of doing. And my husband has taught me patience. <laughs> I, I have a bit of an artsy mind and I tend to flit around and, and my dad helped me learn how to focus and work, but my husband has taught me to take it at my pace and to learn as I go. Um, and he's super good at that. He's, we joke that he's the science mind and I'm the art mind and together we, we make it work. I've had teachers over the years that have had a great impact on me. My, my very first voice teacher helped me see that a, that a little farm girl actually had a, a chance at, at stepping out of being a farm girl. I, you know, where I live is fairly rural and I love that. And I am raising my kids here, but nobody went on to be an opera singer <laughs> from, from where I was. And yet I had a talent that people kept saying you needed to use and you needed to do this with. And she helped me see that it was possible that it didn't matter that I just felt like I was a little tiny farm girl. I could step up and do something different and outside the box. And that was still okay. I've had a lot of church leaders over the years. I'm, you know, I go to church every Sunday and they've impacted me and helped me realize that I, I am of worth and maybe I'm not of the same worth as somebody else, or maybe what I have to offer is different than other people, but it's still something I have to offer. And there's, there's people that I can help with those things. Um, so altogether, those little pieces over the years have come together to help teach me who I am and what I want to be and, and how to keep moving forward. 
so it's it's not one person it's it's little bits of all the people in my life and and i'm so grateful that they've been in my life because they've all made a difference so looking back i would assume in hindsight right you kind of see the puzzle pieces or the uh what's it hindsight they say is, is 2020 right you see as the people as you've progressed through your life has made this impact to who you are today which maybe in the moment you may or may not have realized it, recognized it, or even believed in it. To have someone speak into your life as far as your ability to sing and you're with your voice at at whatever age that was, I assume it was probably at a very vulnerable age, right? Not necessarily knowing where to go, what to do, that kind of thing. That had to have been so huge to where you are even today, right? Stepping into new things all the time. Right. Yeah. So I was, I actually didn't start taking voice lessons until I was 18. Mm. I was right on, it was my senior year in high school. So here's a funny tidbit for you. It actually came about because I had not really a disagreement because it's not like we argued, but my band, I'd been in band because I was very musical. I did a lot of musical stuff. I'd taken piano since I was five and my band teacher was brand new my freshman year. So he was coming in and I, I think he was trying to kind of make his mark. You know, the other band teacher had been there a lot of years. And so he was, the new one was trying to kind of get his system going. Right. And he made some changes my junior year that I was not okay with. And I left the band program and I had been super, super involved. Well, I was like, well, now what do I do? Right. And so I went to choir and then my choir teacher was like, you need to start taking lessons. Like there's something here worth developing. And that's when I found my first voice teacher. My mom got me involved in that. So I was right on the cusp of going to college, but you know, you're still settling things. And I had planned to go into music therapy. I wanted to help people with music but she changed, she changed all of that. She, she gave me a vision that was completely different. So it, it was right, right at a time in my life when, when you're kind of going back and forth and then she just settled me into one direction. So yeah, it was not young vulnerable, but just, you know, at a time when lots of decisions are going on in your life, vulnerable. So I, I'm just picturing myself even at that, that pivot or change between high school, college, just that time frame, late teens, early twenties, Life just starts to become real. Right. You're wondering where where to go, what to do. This instance that at the time probably was in your mind a very negative thing. Now looking back on it, you wouldn't be, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation today. Had you or had this person been different, right? Or not have been right. that way. That's so when I think about those things, I love so once again stories, right? So I think about that and I just to to connect the dots from that moment even all the way up till today, right? That's super fascinating that that's how it's it's all come up to be. So you've already kind of touched base a little bit of, about some of the challenges. And so that kind of leads into uh, the question number two, as far as what has been your biggest challenge and what have you learned from it? I'm curious to hear what the answer is to this one. So I think my biggest challenge is the fact that I've always kind of put myself in this little box and it was being able to see outside the box. You know, I, I wasn't raised with a lot of money. I, I was raised with a very wonderful, healthy, good family. I mean, that that's where we were wealthy. We were wealthy in 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 who we were as a family, but I didn't wear the, I wasn't with the cool kids. I didn't wear the cool clothes. I didn't, you know, those kinds of things. And so I, I had myself in this stereotype box, which I think a lot of teenagers do, right? We decide who we are when we're not really deciding who we are. <laughs> um, and I was, I was just 
this little girl from a farming background who didn't wear clothes that fit really well. And I didn't think that there would be a lot to go on from there. And so I worked hard in school. I did very well. I had an academic scholarship um, because I knew that we wouldn't be able to afford college otherwise. And I didn't want to go into debt that I didn't have to go into. Um, So I knew that I was capable of those kinds of things, but I didn't really imagine more beyond what my parents had until that voice teacher helped me see that, no, that's, you really can step outside that. And, and what my parents have isn't bad. They're wonderful and they're content. And they gave me a foundation that I needed and that I try to teach my children today, but I'm also trying to teach them that there's, you know, they can take a step beyond where I have helped them be right. That I want my children to keep going. And that's things that I started um, learning as I got older. And that, that was a hard, that was a hard box for me to break. Was it cool to be to be raised rurally and, and that kind of thing? Yes, it was. Um, I've, you know, raised sheep and pigs and chickens and cows and, and I've changed handpipe and that's things that not everybody has done. But there's more too. And then I can still do the other things. I can I can go and, you know, wear fancy jewelry and sing in an opera and then still come home and take care of the chickens. I don't have to do one or the other, right? And I don't have chickens at my house. I'd like to, but my HOA <laughs> won't let me. But I do have a whole bunch of fruit trees and I can, and I have a garden and I still, I still have those roots, but the challenge of breaking open the box of who I thought I was as a kid and moving on has been, there's been different levels of that over the years, first becoming the opera singer and then becoming a mother of so many children and and the overwhelmingness of that, especially when they came faster than we expected them to. And then going on to be an author. And then not only that, but thinking, you know, understanding or or reaching a point where I was like, my books are good enough for people to want to read. And you know, that that's that imposter syndrome is hard. And that's a hard thing to let go of and say, no, this is a story worth telling. And it's a story that will make people happy. And then to shoot for like the bestseller list and stuff, that's not usually something that just happens to an author. It's something you have to work towards. You know, you accomplish it. It doesn't just fall in your lap. Those are things you have to aim for and goals. And I learned how to stretch those boxes, starting with becoming the opera singer that kicked that all off to let me see that I could break open those boxes. But the box has been broken open over and over again. And that's that's a hard thing. It's out of the comfort zone and into the risk zone. And that that every time I do it, it's a hard one for me. But it's also brought the greatest reward, even though there's been a lot of failures along the way. It's brought the greatest reward to see that, yes, there is another level to me. Yes, there is another level to me. Um, even though the level I have isn't bad, there's, there's just, we're so capable of progressing and that's, that's still a lesson I'm learning, but it, it was super hard to very first get started on it. So getting there, continuing to push is very difficult. You mentioned that you've had mentors kind of help you help when you were uncertain, maybe at that 18, 19 timeframe, right? You had your mentor kind of helping guide you. Mm -hmm. Are you doing similar things today as you have changed into different genres with book writing and going to different things. Do you find it where you have to find mentors to help with you as far as getting you to that next level? Or have you figured out a way to do it more internal? Like you've got a uh, internal mechanism that kind of, you just refer back to you that, you know, it might not be necessarily comfortable, but at the same time, you then know that as soon as I step into this next version of myself, the rewards, that's where it's going to be. Do you have a model that you kind of use for yourself in these processes? Um I have less external than I did before because I think each time I break open that box, the confidence level grows a little bit, right? So like probably the easiest um, example is is my books. When I very first started writing, 
and I got a couple of books out, I had a, a beta reader team that was like 10 people helping me learn. How, and I had a degree in writing, right? So it's, it wasn't like I was, I was completely unsure how to write, but wanting to make sure that my books hit the right notes in the genre and stuff. I wanted an external team on that. And I got a lot of critique and I had a lot of people reading those books where over the years and over the millions of words that I've put out, I'm down to one beta at this point. And it's mostly her, like her job is to actually mostly look over just continuities. Like, did I say someone's eyes were blue in the beginning and they became green at the end? Right. Like I've become fairly confident in my ability to tell a story the right way, but I still want that extra set of eyes, but it's less than it was. I've discovered self-help books as I've gotten older. And I, I wasn't really introduced to those when I was younger. Um, and I honestly, I don't know if I would have been in my the right mind frame to have accepted them either. But now the more I learn what it is to grow, the more I want those kind of things. So I do a lot more reading for that kind of growth than I used to. And, but I do still have external help. I have an editor with my books and I have that one beta reader. And then I have like our group, Randy with Kyle and people like that, that I just, when we get together, I thrive on hearing what everyone else is accomplishing because it drives me to want to keep accomplishing. And my husband and I work very hard to have goals together, not just separately, but together. And sometimes those together goals are actually things to help each other. So like he knows that I want to accomplish a and so he makes a goal with me to help me accomplish a right and sometimes the goals are are evenly spread that whatever we're trying to accomplish as a couple affects both of us as much but so we push each other uh, so he's kind of a built-in mentor if you will <laughs> no i, I he, get it yeah he sees things differently than i do yeah because our brains are are different um are different brains and we were raised in different experiences and so we we have different things to offer so it's, it's not that I don't have outside influences, but I think they're less than they were. And I think they're more focused than they were. I don't need 10 people's opinions anymore. I know whose opinion I want, you know, kind of thing as I go along. And I have different people I call on for different things, depending on what it is that I'm looking for help with. But I don't think we're, we're meant to do it all alone. We're, we're social creatures. That's part of what storytelling is, is the social aspect of us, right? So I need other people's stories at, at the right moments of my life to help me keep growing. So it's just a better system, I guess, than it used to be. It used to be very broad and now we've narrowed it down, but that I think it makes it a smoother transition because now I'm not listening to 10 people trying to find what works. I'm listening to one person. So it's evolved from this big idea, right? Now you've gotten it down to a few people, few systems that you can then repeat, rinse and repeat, which allows right. you then to be productive to a level that most people can't fathom. Uh, and we'll get into that as far as how quickly you're able to produce content and get things out there uh, at such a fast rate, which is super cool. The whole uh, spouse mentorship, I completely agree with that because Stacy and I are completely opposite as far as the way we think and the way, but that allows us, sometimes it's a little friction, not going to lie, sometimes, <laughs> right? We might have a little bit of a heated discussion if we totally disagree with, with what each other is saying. But at the same time, it's great because it's, you can bounce ideas off of somebody and get a completely different perspective than what you've got the chatter going on in your mind or what right. you're seeing as reality is, is may or may not be 100% accurate, right? So I, I completely agree with that, that thought process with the mentorship with the spouse, which you've been so gracious with all the nuggets of wisdom up to this point. So we're getting into the third question, right? And you've already yeah. given us a ton of information. So I'm just super curious. We've, we've touched base about how you went through this transition when you were that 18, let's call it leaving high school timeframe or mm -hmm. close to it, junior, senior year. 
Uh, I had actually a very similar experience my junior, senior year, which we won't get into that today, but that's, I think I resonate with you talking about that hundred percent. But if you could go back to that, that time frame mm-hmm. and share a nugget, another nugget, more than what you've already shared, I'm going to try to pull another one out of you that you wish you knew then that you currently know now, is there anything that comes to mind that you wish you would have shared or wish you would have known in your 18, 19, 20 year old self? Yes, lots of things probably. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's <laughs> More than I would ever care to admit. <laughs> um, I think probably one of the biggest ones is that time isn't an enemy. And I I have spent a lot of, of my life, I, I tend to get hyper-focused on things. And that's made me very productive in some ways, but it also means that I, I miss out on some things because of it, or I, I'm driving so fast to the end that I lose some of the, the lessons in the journey. And so there's there's a balance there. And it's, you know, balance is a little bit of a, a misnomer. There, there, life truly isn't balanced. There's just learning to shift a little bit from one side to the next each each day, right? But no one truly lives a completely balanced life because we're just not capable of that. But I, I would like to have taught myself that it's it's okay for things to take time to to slow down just a little bit more and and that something taking time doesn't mean it's it's bad or wrong if it takes longer than what my head initiated it was supposed to be. Um, so that probably is the biggest thing I would tell myself is is time is not your enemy. Time is there. And even even in the waiting, there are lessons and growth to learn along the way. Um, I've reached a lot of end lines, but the lessons aren't always at the end lines. The accomplishments are, and that's fun, but the lessons aren't always at the end lines. So I would I would teach myself to slow down just a little bit more, I think. So did I remember back a little bit ago, did you mention that your husband kind of taught you patience? Is that is that what I heard you say? Yeah. So yes. is that kind of the same, down the same thread yes. and the same ideas of in your younger self, you were more, I don't know if driven's the right word or more- yeah. Is that, I mean, you're just go, 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 go. And now you've, you're starting to learn that you need to still go. Yeah. I mean, you can't just sit still and expect things to happen, but at the same time, it's not your perception of the time frame that it should take place may or may not be an accurate thought. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I don't think being driven or ambitious is, is bad. And I think we are happiest when we are progressing or at least striving to progress because progression isn't, isn't a one way, you know, it, we go and we fall and we go and we fall and we go and we fall and we go and we fall, right? Two steps forward, one step back. But there's the less, you know, I've, I've heard people say, and I can't attribute it to one person and, and, you know, give it to who it started with, because I've heard it said by a thousand different people, is that our failures are where we learn, right? It's it's when we take the steps back that we actually learn. And my husband is much, much better at that, that it'll happen as it happens, just keep taking the steps, just keep taking the steps and it'll happen. And and I have a tendency to be like, okay, I'm going from A to B, which means nothing matters, but getting to B. And like I said, that's not bad, but that's not necessarily the best either. And and being a mother has helped with that a, a lot. Yeah. We we have these timeframes of, you know, that my child should be walking now and my child should be talking now and my child should be doing this now. And my oldest child actually has made a huge impact on that. He's neurodivergent, he's on the spectrum. And he doesn't ever take a straight path anywhere. His, his path loops and goes up and down and backwards and inverted and everywhere. And it has forced me to stop because I can either get mad that he's not doing it the way I think he's supposed to be doing it. And I can ruin my relationship with him because he's not as focused as I think he should be. Or I can say, 
this is who he is. And I'm going to love him for that and take the journey with him and understand that his journey is going to look different than mine. And it might be slower than mine, but that doesn't make it wrong just because his is slower than mine. And he picks things up that I have never seen because he walks instead of races like I tend to do. So my husband started that. My my oldest has been a huge help in that. Heavenly Father knew who I needed to help pull me back and say, life isn't a race. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? I mean, I want to keep moving, but there's more in the middle than I I usually tried to give. It was always about the accomplishment. And I, I'm slowly learning. <laughs> it's not. I'm still not, not perfect at it, but I am better than I used to be for sure. Better than I used to be. And that's all you could do, right? One little bit at a time. Uh, there's right. certain things that I'm still working on and I work on them on a daily basis. Stacey and I have conversations about it that it, I know it's a challenge that I'm working through that it just try a little bit at a time and eventually you'll continue to get better and it, it will just evolve into what it's supposed to be, but not having that exact answer at the, at when you think it should be right there, right? That's the frustrating part. I totally, totally get that. Totally get that. So with all of these, this you know, we've established that you're driven. We've established that all of these different accomplishments that you've had. Let's shift gears and start talking a little bit more about the ability to write stories and to produce content at a level that is, it's mind boggling folks. Wait till you hear how quickly Laura can churn out uh, these, this content. It's, it's really fascinating. Once again, we referenced this conference we were at and she was sharing with, with other folks and, and some of these folks are, are experienced writers and she was expressing how well and how quickly she's able to get this content produced. And our friends were just, I mean, they're blown back. They, they couldn't get it which is super cool. So can you kind of just maybe take us through that process as far as you're homeschooling your kids or you have homeschooled your kids? So obviously anybody that's gone through that process, you know, I'm not a mom. Stacy stayed home with my kids. So I, I know the grind that she did to mm-hmm. make sure that the kids were taken care of. We have three kids ourselves. But anyway, so I can't speak from experience from raising kids, but as far as your the challenges of time, you're already proclaiming that you're very driven, you're, you're very uh, goal oriented. Right. Can you kind of talk about how you get from point A of, of life? Life's kind of happening over here on, let's say the left side. And then all of a sudden you've got these goals and all that on, on the right. And then it all comes together to this beautiful end result that you've had some fantastic experience and producing uh, these, all these novels. So can you talk us a little bit more about how you get all of that accomplished in relatively short period of time? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. So when I first started writing, I had little children, lots of little children, and we were going through a time with my oldest where we were trying to figure out, it took us a long time to get him diagnosed. I could tell being home with him that, that things were a little bit different with him um, than with other kids, but we were struggling with doctors to actually, to notice that he's, he's one of those kids who's a genius on the testing levels, but he was failing in in the school classroom and people were just struggling to put together why. So during that time, when I finally brought him home, um, because he was just not doing well in the public school system was when I first started kind of dabbling with, with trying to write books. And so I needed to be able to write. I I didn't have hours to sit down and write because I was going through schoolwork with him. I still had one child who wasn't old enough for school at the time. And then in the afternoon, my three daughters would all come home 
And I'd, I'd, you know, become a a mother of the five again, you know, by mid-afternoon. So, and my oldest required quite a bit more help with his schoolwork. So he wasn't the kind of kid I could just set on an assignment and walk away. That didn't work for him. So I really didn't have a whole lot of time. Um, But I really wanted to do this because I I really enjoyed having something that was mine and I wasn't singing as much anymore. We had, we had set a lot of that aside. And so I started, when I started learning about the writing process, I had my degree at this point, but when I started learning about the writing process, um, I started writing in just these little short spurts. And I've come, as I've gotten deeper into it, they're called writing sprints. And uh, that's a pretty common term in, in at least the indie author world that I'm a part of. I didn't realize what they were at the time. I didn't have a word for it. I just, you know, I have 10 minutes and I'd, I'd sit and put down a few words and I have 10 minutes and I'd sit down and do a few words. And and I just kind of did it like that. But after I got my first book out, so the first book was 35,000 words. It's a, it's a novella. And it took me about seven months to write that and to edit it and to put it out. And I had resources. I'd found groups online that were indie author groups that where I learned how to publish it. And I learned how, where to find my cover. And, and I was following people who were already doing what I was doing and, and kind of, you know, paying attention to what they did. And then it started to sell a little bit. And I was like, oh, this actually like kind of works. Right. So I started taking those moments of time that I had those 10 to 15 minutes. And I started being a little more focused in them this time. Cause I didn't really think of it at this time as being a full-time career. I was just enjoying it and I enjoyed telling stories. So I just was going to let that be right. Use the, the degree I have, right. I had, I took the education. I might as well put it to good use. So um, I didn't think of it as becoming a full-time thing. So I put out book two and it took me about three months to write another 35,000 word book which was because I actually focused a little more this time instead of like, oh, if I get down 10 words, that's fine. If I get down 100 words, that's fine. I was more like, okay, let's let's actually make progress here. By the time I got to about book five or six in this series, I was writing a 35,000 word book in four weeks. And it all came from continuing to teach my brain how to focus in those short spurts, those 10 minute writing sprints. And then I jumped up my next series. I jumped up to 50 to 55,000 words. I wanted to create a little more of an in-depth story. Now I look at those first books now and I kind of cringe. So I'm not really telling anyone to go read them. (laughs) (laughs) People have been super nice about them over the years. And I have readers who literally have read all of my books, starting with those very first ones. And they have stuck with me and been super sweet about it. But they just, you know, I'm, I'm way beyond what I started at. And I have a long ways to go. I'm still learning but I'm better than I was. So 50 to 55,000 word books. And I, it took me probably one to two books to be able to start fitting in extra words, but I got those down to about the four week mark as well. Mm -hmm. And I was releasing one of these books about every four weeks. Now it's an, it was an eight week from beginning to end because it would take me four weeks to write. And then it took four weeks to edit and go through the formatting process before I, but because when one was being edited, I would start writing the next book. Mm-hmm. So they were just swapping themselves off. And I always had one being written and one being edited at the same time. And I just was doing these in these short sprints over and over and over again. And I just got really good at these short sprints. So I'm now on one, two, three, four, five. I'm on series six of my romance <laughs> novels, but in series five, and that's not counting standalones. These are just the series. But in series five, I jumped up to 75,000 word books wow. because I wanted to start competing with the traditionally published books. And my books, my romance novels, um, one of my big 
like uh, other authors that people read is Debbie Maycomber. And I wanted to be able to, to compete a little better with her stories lengthwise because hers are longer than mine. Traditionally published ones tend to be 75 to 80,000 words. So I was aiming between 70 and 75,000 words. And it, again, it took me a, a little bit of work, but I actually got to where I could write 75,000 words in the four weeks. But I was doing more and more of the sprints. And by then my kids were teenagers. And so I was able to take more time to do that because they were now old enough and we had created a system well enough with my oldest who he didn't need as much help anymore where I could, you know, they're doing their science assignment. I can sit and write for 20 minutes instead of just 10, right? And I might get um, four to five of those a day instead of just like, two 10 minute sprints a day. So I was getting more time during the day to make this work, but I was also burning myself out. Mm. Trying to release a 75,000 word book every four weeks was killer. And I released 10 of those in one year, one time under the one pin name. And by the end of the year, I was exhausted. And I, I just said, okay, I don't need to go quite this speed. These are big books. They're, you know, full, like full, full length, 50,000 words is considered a full length novel, but the 75,000 word is, you know, towards the top there. And then you start getting into epic fantasy, which gets over a hundred thousand words. And those are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so in the one pen name, I released 10 and I think I released three in another pen name. And I just, I was exhausted and I, was like, I don't need to keep doing it at this pace. And so I've slowed myself down. It just wasn't necessary to keep doing that. So it now takes me between six and eight weeks to write one of my novels. And I've started going every other one at this point. So by the end of this year, I'll have released six total. And that's about a chapter a day. I've now, instead of time now, I write by distance in the book. So my romances are 28, or 28 chapters and my cozy mysteries are 32 chapters. And I've, I've synchronized what I do. So I have plot lines for both of them and it's not to make them formulaic, but it's to make sure that I hit all the right things that they're expecting in the book. So I have an area of my book where the first kiss, my romances are, are sweet. So think Hallmark sweet, right? Just kisses. So the first kiss is a big deal in those kinds of things. And so I know it, it happens between chapters 13, 14, and 15, somewhere in there it will happen depending on who the, what the characters are and, and how fast they move and that kind of thing and what their story is. And so I have these plot points that I know, you know, a roundabout area where they need to happen. I've got it broken down and I've kind of turned in what I do into a science. And I know where I want red herrings to hit in my mysteries. And I know where someone needs to die in my mystery. <laughs> those are always fun when I'm in the middle of one of those. Cause I'll like, my kids will interrupt and I'll be like, just a minute, I'm killing somebody right now. You know, <laughs> Tell them that I need them to hold off for five more minutes while I finish writing the crime scene. And anyways, I've, I've broken it down. Just I've systemized myself. I got really good at writing fast into fast, short sprints. And then I started taking the other parts, the plotting. And I've, I've read about plotting and I've taken other people's plot lines and I've made them what I want them to be for my stories. And so when I go to do a story, I can plot it out within about an hour. And then I just go through there and I let the characters lead me on their individual uniqueness with the underlying foundation of what's expected in these stories. 
you know, if I wrote a romance and it didn't have a happy ever after, it didn't have any kisses in it, I'd have a lot of angry readers at the end, right? Because <laughs> they're expecting certain things to happen. And that's what that foundation and that plot line gives me. It streamlines it. So I don't have to think about it. And I know exactly when things should happen. But then my characters on top, depending on their occupation and their background and what their goals are in life, give me the uniqueness to make the story different from the one before or the one after. Because each character is coming at things from a different thing, a different you know viewpoint. So that's how I can keep those fresh, but still put them out quickly because I've streamlined all the processes that I'm capable of streamlining. And then I've also, you know, created systems for, I know my editing has, is very streamlined. I go through a book after I've written it, then I go back and I read it from front to back all the way through. And I don't sit on, I don't pay attention to grammar edits. If something's glaring, I'll fix that. But I'm not focused on grammar edits. I hire someone to fix the grammar edits. I'm focused on the story because I pay somebody else to take care of that. And so I'm putting my energy somewhere else. And I focus on the story and make sure that I've told the story I want to tell. Then I have the beta reader go after it to make sure that what I wanted to tell actually comes out to somebody else. Cause I know what I wanted to say. I need to make sure I wrote it in a way that they understand what I wanted to say. Um, Cause once it's out of my hands, it's interpreted by somebody else's brain. Right. And so they make sure there's no plot inconsistencies and they make sure that I told the story I wanted to tell. And then it comes back to me and I go through it again. And then I, after taking into consideration my beta reader stuff, I then move it on to my grammar editor She's a friend of mine. Um, she also writes in a similar genre to mine. So I know she's very familiar with what I'm trying to accomplish. And I have a really good relationship with her. Her name is actually Laura. So we share that in common, but she's super good. She does just grammar edits, but every once in a while um, she'll stop and say, hey, this sentence, you know, I think is a little bit wordy and a little bit off. It, it caught me off guard while I was reading. And so she'll give me tidbits once in a while, but for the most part, she just does the grammar. Then I go through it again and I go through all her grammar edits. And then I format it and put it up. So I've, I've got everything that's capable of being repeatable in a system to be repeatable so that I can with work, you know, still being a stay at home mom with my children, I know exactly what comes next. And by knowing what comes next, I can make progress every single day. And that's how I've learned how to, how to do this. And now I know why everybody that was in that group listening to that was blown away because that is, that's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Really it is. And I know you do it, right? So you might not necessarily see it from the outside, but from somebody from the outside looking in, I would consider myself artistic. Like I love being creative in my own way. I can't say that I write real well. I don't read and write real well. And that's just been, I've been that way since I was a little kid. And so I don't force it. I don't. So the word part I struggle with to be honest with you, but pictures and images and colors even creating this podcast. I mean, I just, every part of it, the creativity part, I absolutely, I love it. And so I'm fascinated by folks that can do that right. And then it's a systematic process, be productive at the same time. Cause I have to do similar things with what I do between recording or recording today. I've got to edit, post edit, launch all of that stuff. Right. And it requires processes and systems for it to come out in a timely manner. So I totally get that. So I have so many questions going off in my mind and we're probably running out of time. So I want to ask one question just from, from my own standpoint, from a creativity standpoint, right. I struggle with, and this is more just, just you and me talking, Laura, just out of curiosity Yeah. when you're doing life and sometimes you just have spurts of creativity hitting you that may not be the, the, the opportune time, right? You might be out or you might be wherever doing whatever. Right. And 
do you have a way or do you have a, a, a release valve, I guess, maybe to create or capture that creativity when it hits you in a moment that may or may not be the opportune, opportune time? Yeah. So a little bit anyways, um, <laughs> those kinds of things tend to hit me more when I'm writing, like I'm writing on one story and like something else, like another story, like, Ooh, shiny. I call it squirrel brain. Right. Cause like squirrel, yeah, squirrel, squirrel. Um, or the shower that happens in the shower a lot, right? Like who doesn't get creative in the shower? Everyone's yeah. brain's working well when we're warm <laughs> sure. like that. So my trigger release is actually to write something down and I can do it on text if if I'm out okay. and about in town, but because I'm usually writing when those kinds of things hit me, cause I'm already in creative mode, I actually keep three by five cards hmm. and I will, I've taught my brain and I will say, oh, thank you for that idea. But rather than get derailed by it, I will write it down on this three by five card and say, I will come back to that later. And then I always have this stack of ideas that I can come to when I want to come back to them. But it lets me then go back to what I was doing and still focus and make my progress, but not lose the inspiration that I had. And so the process of writing it down for my brain anyways, and, and people probably have different releases and, and check marks for their own brain. But for my own brain, if I write it down, that's that's that mark of I won't forget this because I wrote it down. And so I have a stack of three by five cards. And I'll be honest, I've actually never gone back to them. <laughs> <laughs> but I have them. Right. Um, but I have enough ideas that I I've actually never gone back there. But I have had things that are like are vague from those that it's like I remember writing something down and, and I'll kind of pick up a piece of it and put it in something else. But I haven't ever been like, hmm, I'm not sure what to do and let's go to the cards and see kind of thing, what other inspiration I've had over the years. But it's it still just keeps my brain moving and creating, but makes my brain feel satisfied that I've done something with it. And so I write in, and then I have my stack of cards and that's what I do. I love it. So that's mine comes usually when I'm on walks. I like to take walks. Yes. I wouldn't call myself a speed walker, but I'm not going pretty lazy either. But I'm, I'm working up a little bit of a sweat, but that's usually when my mind is just popping off all kinds of things. So yes, I'll stop, put a little note on my phone. Uh-huh. So I was just curious on if you had a specific thing. So I appreciate you sharing that just because at times, like I said, it might not be the most opportune time for me to hit record and record something right on the computer. But at right. the same time, I want to capture that thought or that idea. So that that's super cool. So you went through uh, in the in, before the last question there, all kinds of the systems and the processes that you've basically created on your own with your families and all the challenges and the timing and all of that stuff. I would assume that these are the things that you use when you're coaching folks. Is that an assumption that would be accurate? It is. It is. Yeah. So I, I try to help people create their own systems. We, we do better if we can see progress and writing is one of those things that people will put on off for years. They'll have had an idea percolating for literally 20 years in their head. And if we will just put into place small little tiny systems, that's also why I actually, I don't tend to write in 10 minute spurts anymore. My kids are old enough that I don't have to do that. Um, unless I'm just having one of those days where I'm going to be like in a million different places all day, then I will write in 10 minute spurts and it's usually in the car. Like I'll write at the doctor's office or the dentist's office while my kids are getting their teeth cleaned. And those are in 10 minute spurts. But if we, but 10 minutes is something that everybody has, right? Mm -hmm. If you can scroll Facebook for 45, you've got 10 minutes to work on writing a book. Like who doesn't spend more than 10 minutes on social media? The vast majority of us do, right? And so when I teach people, not just how to write their book, like I take people through, it depends on where they come to me. I have some people who come to me with an idea. I have some people who come to me with a manuscript. 
And I, um, my program is a 12 week program and I take them through um, either idea to end of manuscript, or I'll take them from manuscript to publishing. And so it depends on what their needs are, but I want to help them put into place their own system. Now, maybe 10 minutes is all they can give, but if you wrote 500 words, 10 minutes a day, and that's so by the end of the week, you've written 2,500 words. Let's say you're just working Monday through Friday. You take the weekends off with your family. That's a chapter. And all of a sudden at the end of the week, you've got one chapter done. And if you're writing a 20 chapter book, that's 20 weeks later, instead of 20 years that you've done nothing now in 20 weeks, you've actually got a manuscript. And so what I teach is how to get these little steps, little steps. I teach slow and steady. Um, one of my biggest seminars that I give is actually called how to write when you have no time. And it's all about these writing spurts, but there's also the first couple of tips. It's five tips on how to write when you feel like you don't have time to do that. But the first couple of tips are all about training your brain and about understanding that your book is worth telling your story is worth telling. And so it's to help people bypass that imposter syndrome of, well, it doesn't matter if I write it because nobody's going to read it. So they, then we don't want to prioritize actually giving that 10 minutes. If you have more than 10 minutes, you will make faster progress. But if you can give at least 10 minutes, you will make progress. We can be the tortoise. We don't have to be the hare in the story, right? The tortoise still got to the end line and he beat the hare in the story, right? So, but yes, I try to teach people their own systems, taking them step by step, depending on where they come to me at to get to that next end line. But the hope is that we're creating a system that is repeatable for them. If I've taken them from idea to manuscript, I mean, I'm happy to do it again, but I'd like them to be able to then step back and just repeat what I did for their next manuscript. That's the hope, even though I'm happy to go through it with them again and do another 12 week process. But I think that once we learn a system and we learn how to fit a system into our lives, then we can just make that on our own. And that's, that's the goal is to teach people how to repeat it. That's super cool. So that's, I just want to acknowledge that your high school junior career being influenced by that coach and that teacher, right? For you to see something in yourself that you might not have seen is exactly what you're doing for folks today. And I hope you see that because that's oh. what I'm hearing from you. And that's, Thank you. that that's is super kind. cool. It's true. And that's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm hearing from you is that you're taking your wisdom, people may not necessarily see what they believe in themselves as the ability to take their words, take their ideas, take their creativity and put it in a format and a form that can actually impact other people. And that's exactly what you're doing for folks. You thank are. You. I'm, yes. I'm hoping to, to, to do that. So yes, thank you. I appreciate that's, that. That's super cool. So as we start to bring this episode in for a landing, can you, you've shared so much and I appreciate that but I just, I'm going to try to dig one little bit more. Can you, so let's just imagine we've got an individual listening out there. They do have an idea. They've really been sitting with it for, it can be a really long time. You had mentioned about, you know, people's excuse of time is, is a lot of, of a big hurdle. Right. Is there another nugget, something else that you can just kind of throw at them as a, you know, just a little bit of word of an encouragement to help them get off the couch or get off of wherever that stopping point is for themselves to get going as far as getting this, this uh, book that's in their mind out there in the real world. Yeah. So let me think one of the things that it, and it's just a phrase, but it's something that has always, it means something to me, I guess. Like when I, when I heard it for the first time, 
Well, I guess there's two things. First is, is what I talked about mindset is that understanding that your story is worth telling, whether it's like mine and they're all lies because they're fiction and none of it is real or whether it's nonfiction and you're teaching people how to buy real estate or whatever it is you do, it doesn't matter. These stories are worth telling. And, and this goes back to, to what we were talking about, that the world is connected through stories. How many hit people in the history of this world, that's all they had was their stories, right? From their ancestors and they were passed down orally through, through these generations because those stories are so important important and they connect us together. And that's how we learn is through stories. So the under, the first thing is, is to truly understand that your story is worth telling there. The book world would not sell at the rate it sells. If people didn't want more stories, this is not a, there's lots and lots of books out there, millions and millions of books, but they are still new ones are being published and new ones are being bought. Because the older we get, the more we actually have time to read and the younger generations coming up are coming up with an insatiable desire for knowledge that fiction and nonfiction will feed into as they go. So there is a constant barrage of new readers coming up and a constant barrage of readers getting more time as they get older in order to keep reading. So this just isn't going anywhere. And your story is worth sharing with someone. Someone is will, it wants to learn from that story, wants to escape in your story, wants to learn from that. So that really is the very first thing is that mindset of knowing it's worth. The second one that I use a lot is where I remind myself that every book is written one word at a time. Hmm. Every book is written one word at a time. And some people write those words really, really fast. I've learned how to do that. But it doesn't matter if they're written fast because I still write it one word at a time. And so if you sat down and you wrote one word today, that's more than you had yesterday. And if you wrote another word tomorrow, that's one more than you had today. And and so on down, you can write a you could do one word a day for the rest of your life and eventually have a book. Now, I would recommend a few more than that, <laughs> you know, because I think we'd be happier with a few more than that. And I think we're capable of more than that, but it really is just one word at a time. So when we're sitting there thinking, ah, I don't know if I want to get up, give yourself a goal that is that is doable. I, I start with the 10 minutes um, with people. That's where I started was 10 minutes, but it also because it's a very digestible amount of time. Most of us could do, we can do just about anything for 10 minutes. We could get out and walk for 10 minutes. But if you're sitting in a position where you're really struggling to the point where 10 minutes sounds like too much, do two. Two minutes today is more than you had yesterday. And as our brain trains, you'll actually find yourself, it's like it's like Pavlov's dog. Your brain will actually start to kick into gear. If at every day at noon, I sat down and wrote for two minutes, by 11.58, you know, eventually down the line, my brain would start wanting to write. It starts anticipating wanting to get into this creative mode because I'm training it and it's going to start drooling with what's coming next, right? Just like the dog in the experiment. So... Um, and then eventually two minutes isn't enough. And we want three minutes and then we want four minutes and then we want five. This is a part of who we are as humans is to create. Now, not all of us love writing as much as we love other ways of creating, but it doesn't matter what it is you want to do in life. If you want to do pottery, if you want to sing, if you want to write a book, you want, you want to buy real estate, if you want to coach people, spend just a couple of focused minutes on it and put it down to a digestible piece for you. If 10 minutes is too much for you, start with two until your brain starts wanting more and then let it build to 
more. But it, that first step is always the hardest. And that's where I think the mindset comes in is understanding that your book is worth telling. And that's how we get into the first step. And the first step makes the second step easier. And the second step makes the third step easier and so on and so forth. So that would be my, it was a long piece of advice. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is what and happens with a storyteller is I don't say anything short. And I, and I told you from the beginning that it, when you started to run with an idea, I was going to let you run. And this is that's why <laughs> it's because it's, it's super valuable. So the listeners out there are getting a high level coaching, teaching directly from a super successful, multiple best-selling author that is crushing it in terms of being super productive, all the while raising a successful family. In the process, we talked earlier about potentially you're, you're going to be moving literally across the country. Uh, yeah. So it's not like you're not busy, but you're still able to get it done. So if the listeners out there tonight or today, wherever they're listening from is like, okay, I need to get closer connection to Laura because not only do I have a book in my mind, but just her energy, her passion, it just, I can hear it and I can feel it. And I just got to get closer. What are the best ways for people to learn more about your coaching? You mentioned about having a couple of different pen names uh, for your, your novels that you're writing, right? Anything like that. Can you share with that, with the listeners, any that you got? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my coaching stuff, I have a website, laurapatillo.com. Super simple. Um, on there, if you're interested in getting to be part of my newsletter, there's a sign up there for my book, How to Write When You Have No Time. And if you sign up for that book, it automatically enlists you on my newsletter and you get a free copy of that, that little pamphlet with my five tips um, on how to get started and how to get the mindset and get the system going in your life. So that's just laurapatillo.com, two T's, two L's, and, and that'll get you right there. Um, I also offer up um, to new newsletter subscribers a 20-minute free consultation. And so I think I sent you the link, Randy, and you can you you feel free to share that if you'd like, where people can sign up and um, we'll talk about your book, whether it's an idea, whether it's a manuscript, come to me with your, your questions and I'll see if I can help you get to the next step. That's, that's what that goal in that 20 minutes is. If you're interested in coaching, we can talk about it during that 20 minutes. And um, I, I have some students now. I don't have a, you know, a ton of slots, but I have a couple slots still open. So I'm, I'm happy to take on a couple more if there's people who would like more help than what I can offer in that 20 minutes. I'm on social media, Laura Patillo Writing Coach. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram. I also have a YouTube page, but it does not get updated as much as it should. So if you really <laughs> want to stay, if you really want to be involved, I would recommend my newsletter. That's the one thing that I'm 100% on time with all the time. Facebook and Instagram get a little less than what the newsletter gets and then YouTube gets last. So it's just not as high on the priority list. Uh, as for pen names, so I write sweet, small town, beach, Oregon coast romances. So think Hallmark movies in book form. And when I say sweet, I mean sweet. They're kisses only. Um, and those are under Laura Ann. And if you're looking for something a little more wild than that, I have a paracosy or paranormal cozy mysteries pen name. And so that's mysteries, but they're paranormal. So there's magic involved. So for those of you who are like my age and older, um, you might remember Murder, She Wrote with Jessica oh, Fletcher, yeah. Oh, yeah. add magic and witches to that. And that's what I write. And that okay. one's super fun because I can, anything goes in a magic world, right? So those are super fun. And that's under Abigail Lynn Thornton. I had to change pen names on that one. So anyways, those are all, my books are found um, on all platforms. 
Amazon's always the easiest one, but they're they're there and there's lots of books to choose from if you're looking for an escape. So in fact, it's it's a one of my mysteries is the one releasing tomorrow for book number 69. So anyways, that's it. So laurapatillo.com is probably the easiest way to to start getting in if you want to start contacting me. Or I maybe if someone wants to just write an email, laura at laurapatillo.com. Super simple. Super Send me an email simple. and I'll answer your questions. I love so. it. So you've been very valuable to the listener today. You've been very open and gracious with your time. I just appreciate everything. I knew when we when I was able to get you on the calendar for this conversation, I just knew that this was going to be so much fun. And it has been. It's been, I have I have more questions. So we might need to, to come back for, my, for a, a second episode or something in the future because I've got so many more things I need to ask you uh, from a personal standpoint, from one creative to another, right? So Hi. you can help me with some different things as well. So yeah, I really appreciate your time, Laura. This has been a, a super amount of fun. I know that the listener is going to get a ton of value out of the episode. But folks, I would encourage you, find Laura. She mentioned her pen names. I won't repeat them now because honestly, they were so awesome that I actually don't, I didn't write it down when you were saying, but I will make sure that all of that information is in the show notes. Wherever you're listening to this, this is actually on YouTube as well. So I'll have it in all the different show notes. When we share the episode, I'll make sure all the the different links and everything that she uh, shared with us will be there as well. Reach out to Laura and she's, she's a wealth of knowledge, wealth of information. She is trying to give back in a way that it's really super cool. And that's why I was super glad to get her on the show today. So with that said, is there anything else other final, final words to share with anybody, Laura? Just a thank you. I love you and Stacy. It's been so wonderful to get to know you guys. And I'm just so honored to get to come and chat with you today. So yes, thank this you. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, the feeling's mutual. So I look forward to that episode round number two. And we'll try to get that on the calendar here either later this year, or maybe first of next. So that'll be a lot of fun. Love that. So, Folks, go out there. Have a fantastic day. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Leave us a a rating and review. If you found this valuable, I would really appreciate if you'd share it with your family and friends. I'm trying to spread the message of the rich mind uh, to as as far and wide as I possibly can. I'm trying to bring on a very diverse group of folks that their stories, right? We talked about stories through this episode. And at some point, there's going to be a story that resonates with where you are in your life. And you never know. That one share, that one like, that one opportunity that you give to someone else would be, it might be the the meaning that they're looking for. And I would greatly appreciate the opportunity to be that for them. So go out there, have a fantastic day. I look forward to bringing you the next episode very soon. And until then, bye now. Thank you for joining me on the Rich Mind Podcast. I hope you found a ton of value in this episode. If so, I'd really appreciate a five-star review. And you can also share it with your family and friends. And as my mentor Jim Roden shared with me, in order to have more, you must first become more. And in order to become more, you must work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So go out there today and work harder on yourself to become more and build the life of your dreams. Until next time, my friends.